notes and open up in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And if you're new with us uh, this morning, we have been in a long series that we've entitled God in 3D. And we are in the second phase, if you will, of this series looking at different declarations that Jesus shares about himself in the gospel of John. And we pick up uh, in John chapter 11 today and we learn that uh, now after Jesus has shared that he is, in fact, the good shepherd, he tells us now that he is the resurrection and the life. You know, as I was thinking about this message this morning and thinking about those words, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I began to think that if Jesus would have just shared those two sentences with us and nothing more, we would be blessed. Because Jesus, in a couple of verses, shares pretty much the gospel. Now, it doesn't have the whole totality of the gospel involved in it. We don't see the Godhead. We don't see anything of the Holy Spirit. We don't see anything about sanctification or uh, the process of glorification that will take place. But we do, in fact, see that we must believe in order to have eternal life. Jesus declares this morning that He has the power over death. Now, throughout history, People have long desired to cheat death. They have a desire to be able to extend their lives well beyond the uh, bookends of our life. In fact, one person, as I studied in particular, uh, had a great desire and went to great lengths to find a famed fountain of youth. If you remember in your junior high history class, you'd remember a guy by the name of Ponce de Leon. Now, in 1493, Columbus went on a second voyage to the New World. And on that second voyage, he took this young man named Ponce de Leon. Now, Ponce de Leon, back in Spain, had heard stories, great stories of this new world. And many things excited him, but one thing that had caught his attention was a fable or a myth about a famed fountain of youth that would be found somewhere on the north end of the island of Cuba. And he had heard about this island where the hidden fountain of youth could be found, that anybody who would find it and bathe in the water, would be forever young and would never grow old. So what did he do? He left and he went with Columbus and he sailed across the Atlantic with the whole desire of searching for that fountain of youth. But in order to do that, he knew that it would take a lot of materials, it would take men, and it would take lots of time. History tells us that for 20 years he resided in the island of Hispaniola, And for 20 years during that time, he worked to gain riches and wealth and notoriety to be able to put together a team of people to search for this fountain of youth. After being established as the governor of Puerto Rico in 1508, everything had been accomplished. And Ponce de Leon made it his sole purpose to search for this island that was entitled Bimini. And he said that it was about 100 miles north, as he could recollect, 100 miles north of Cuba. So he makes his way north of Cuba, looking for this great island, and he finds this new island. But it was no island. If you know your history, we know, in fact, that he had found the island of Florida. How ironic is it that the fountain of youth would be found in all places, Florida. Some of you are still asking why I said that, but uh, talk to your family or friends, they'll tell you. But, you know, history tells us that He believed that there was this island, that there was this fountain. And so he goes searching for it. Now, legend tells us about Ponce de Leon that he believed he had found it. 
somewhere on the western side of Florida, he came upon a beautiful glen, a beautiful uh, pond of water that was being um, guarded by a group of Seminole Indians. And he said, guys, that's it. That's the famed fountain of youth. And tomorrow at daybreak, we will go and we will attack and each of us will taste life anew. But fate had another plan. In fact, that evening, the Seminole Indians attacked the explorers. And Ponce de Leon was one of many of the men that was critically wounded. In fact, he was so critically wounded that they sent him back to Cuba where he would die a couple of short months later. Again, how ironic it is that a man who searched all his life to extend his life, who did all these different things to try to make sure that he would stay young forever, died. He lost his life searching for that great fountain. I don't know about you, but in our world today, it seems that there's a lot of Ponce de Leon's in our lives. So many people desiring to live longer, to be able to have eternal life. And they go to great lengths looking for that famed fountain, but it's found in so many different ways. Now, I don't know of many people in our society that look for fountains of youth. But as I think about it, I know that our world thinks a lot of medicine and technology. In fact, our politics are filled with debate about different treatments and different medicines that will extend our lives altogether. The idea of cloning for the simple fact of harvesting organs so that when one of our organs goes bad, we'll be able to replace it and live longer. And to that end, CNN did a study and a story on the advancements of medicine about six months ago. In that story, they foresaw, through the doctors that they had talked with and the scientists, they foresaw cures for cancer, things like diabetes, things like lupus, things like heart disease, and all the different issues that we face. In fact, they were saying that they're so confident with the progress that they're making by 2020 that the average American will live to be about 100 years of age. You know, it's reports like this that people in our world, in fact, even Christians today, put more hope in medicine instead of putting their hope in a Messiah. They put their trust in technology instead of the Holy Trinity. They put their solace in science and not their Savior. Sadly, there are many here today who are just like our friend Ponce de Leon, who are searching, trying to find eternal life, but the problem is you're trying to find it apart of Jesus Christ, away from Him. And I'll tell you, just like our friend Ponce de Leon, we learn that that leads only to death. Today in John chapter 11, if you look, you will see something in your heading that says the death or the raising of Lazarus. And while I'm not going to talk about the miracle, because that's in our final chapter of this series, which will start in the first part of January, the demonstrations of power, the miracles of uh, Jesus in the Gospel of John, we see in John 11 that we are told the story of Jesus receiving word that his close friend Lazarus was very sick. In fact, he was bedridden. Now John tells us that Jesus purposely stays away from Bethany, stays away from going to Bethany to see his friend for one particular reason. If you're in the Gospel of John, look to John 11, 4 through 6. John 11, 4 through 6. This is what he says. When he heard this, in verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. But listen to what he says. No, it is for God's glory, so that, the, that God's Son may be glorified 
through it. It's for God's glory. I want you to think about for a moment, and I want you to think about the trials and the tribulations that you're facing today. And you wonder why Jesus hasn't shown up. This is not per se a part of my outline or my message, but I want us to realize that sometimes God's waiting room in our life has nothing to do with us, but it has to do with the glory of God. Sometimes you have not received the answer to prayer you've been looking for, not because God's sitting there and saying, well, you haven't been good enough, as if He's Santa Claus. He isn't sitting there saying, you know what, I'll get to it when I have a chance. But what is happening many times when we are waiting on an answer from God is God is moving, directing things that, we are, that are seen and unseen that will bring Him greater glory in the end. So don't be worried about that answer of prayer that you've been waiting for. Just make sure that your heart is right and you say, God, whenever you're ready, I want you to do what you will so that you will receive glory. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's waiting so that God would receive glory and that He would be glorified in it. Look at verse 14 for a moment. In verse 14, we learn that Jesus tells His disciples the terrible news. Now, He had said that this sickness would not lead to death in verse 4. But in verse 14, Jesus shares with His disciples that Lazarus now is dead. He's dead. Jesus, what are you doing? You said this wouldn't end in death and in fact only... uh, Ten verses later, you say that he's dead. In verse 17, we see in our context here this morning that Jesus gets to Bethany a whole four days after the death of Lazarus. I want you to think for a moment what that scene would be like. Think for a moment what you would say to a family. What you would say, words of comfort. I don't know about you, but one of the least favorite places I like to be, even as a preacher is at a funeral. The last thing I want to do on any day of my life is to walk across a funeral home and to try to share finite words with a family that has lost someone close to them. And here, this is what Jesus does. Here, Jesus comes to Bethany to visit some close friends who are grieving. I don't know about you, but that would, in my time, make me feel very uncomfortable. But we don't see that uncomfortableness in Christ. Because he has the exact words that he's going to share. I want you to think for a moment about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are Lazarus' sisters. And here they are, and they've been following Jesus, we learn throughout the New Testament. Following Jesus, and they've watched Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus create miracle after miracle. And they had even sent word to Jesus that their brother was sick. And here he is now dead. I don't know about you. But I know if I was in that situation, the first thing that would come to mind is, Jesus, why didn't you show up quicker? Why weren't you here sooner? Jesus, you heal all these people you don't know. All these people who don't follow you, Jesus, you heal them. They come up and they say, I'm sick, I'm lame, I'm I'm blind. My friend or my child is sick, and from great distances you heal them. And Jesus, we're your friends. Jesus, Lazarus was one of your best friends. And we told you he was sick. And you don't come. Now the text doesn't say anything about that. But I know if I was Mary or Martha, that would be in my heart. Jesus, you heal people that don't even believe per se many times that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the Messiah. And you can't help me in my hour of need. We do that as Christians, don't we? 
We see other people seeing answers to prayer. Even some of our family members who say a token prayer and say, man, I'm in this struggle, I'm having this issue, and God answers the prayer. And yet, we sit here as faithful followers of Jesus Christ and we pray and pray and we get our church friends praying and we cry out to God and we say, God, we need an answer. And God yet seems so far away. I wonder if that was in the mind of Mary and Martha. But as Jesus comes up in this world in great time of doubt and darkness, in a time of great pain, He doesn't come to do anything more that we see in the text that Mary and Martha would have known of than to just give words of comfort. And these are the words of comfort that Jesus gives. Listen to what he says in John 11:25 and 26. He says to her, meaning Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he looks to Martha and he says, Do you believe this? Let me ask you a question this morning. In our world today, in this world that has death and degradation reeking up this place called earth, the question we must ask is, Why do we believe Jesus' words that say He is the resurrection and the life? We've got problems just like Martha and Mary. And in this time, Jesus comes and shares some flowery words. Maybe they were a little different than what the people were coming and sharing, but Jesus shares these words and they must have been thinking, okay, yeah, you're right, Jesus, there is going to be a resurrection. Jewish people understood that and knew that. So these words of comfort were some solace, but Jesus had so much more to share. Here it is. And some of the closest followers of Jesus were dying for a miracle. And Jesus gives it to them. Jesus came and they thought, well, Jesus will share some good.